You are listening to 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is a broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon uh, and happy uh, Daylight Savings Day to you. Uh, it feels a bit late, earlier in the day than usual. So, is that what happened? Sorry, Nick here. Uh, my name is Nick. Uh, across from me is Ash. Uh, this is folks. a program. We're going to do that program right after I thank the program before us, Freedom of Species, who present each week a wonderful, um, a, a really diverse um, range of perspectives on issues to do with animals and essentially our human relationships with them, whether it's uh, vegan issues, uh, how we deal with uh, domesticated animals, uh, hunting. Uh, uh, what other things can you throw in there, Ash? <laughs> Just, uh, well, broader environmental issues related to species conservation and you know all kinds of stuff it is a diverse program on issues to do with our uh, interaction with other animal species on this planet uh, and you can listen back to them one o'clock next week uh, on 3cr 3cr.org.au uh, follow the links to their program page and you'll be able to subscribe to their podcast as well uh, and you can do the same for us um, and find out about drug stuff because we do the same on drug stuff so they're talking about animals we talk about drugs before them it's Sally talking about um, all things uh, well her, her show is out of the pan so it's technically about pansexuality but really it's about all things sexuality and gender and then following us Queering the Air for more sexuality gender stuff and then following that is um, Sick Beats yeah, sick beats with um, and I've forgotten her name. I'm sorry, but that's at four o'clock. It's getting a bit later in the afternoon. Um, we've got a program, uh, a busy program um, this afternoon. Ash, we've got a lot of things to catch up on. I've been looking through my my tabs that I've left open on like Google. Um, it's it's past a hundred on my phone. Yeah, my um, phone's gotten to that point again where it starts to get a bit crashy because I got so many tabs open. Too many tabs <laughs> and. Um, and on my computer, it's also like I keep closing them and going, oh, I really should have done something about that article. So I think today um, we'll be having a, a look at some of those things that we might have, uh, that might have dropped off the radar a little bit over the past few weeks. Um, but before we get into that, we've also had a, uh, a busy week and you, you were away last week. You were off uh, in the, well, I assume the dry, dusty part of New South Wales somewhere. Was it dry uh, yeah. and dusty? It was very dry and dusty in the Riverina district, just northwest of Wagga. Um, at the Burning Seed Festival, the biggest uh, regional festival for the global Burning Man community. So, uh, you know, they, we burn an effigy. Um, well, hang on, let me skip forward. So it's a different kind of festival, um, and some people wouldn't like it being called a festival. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a bit like that. Um, there's like 10 core principles that try and guide the way that people interact and create the space that they share. So there's no commerce on site. There's no trading or bartering there's a gifting system people take a lot of random gifts and they may be performance or whatever it is um but for me always one of the highlights is the temple space uh i think for those of us who don't practice a traditional religious tradition or even some kind of new shamanic tradition there isn't always a place for ceremony and you know for a sense of sacredness whether or not you believe in the divine and i think the temple at uh, Burning Man or any regional burn provides that for a lot of people. Um, for me, it's one of the most raw expressions of humanity. Um, so, you know, had a, had a little bit of a cry there, as you do. Well, um, what what happens at the temple space? Is it like do people just go there and look at the beautiful construction of it, or what? So like- people write all over it, 
and so the the things that they write are often very raw it might be things about them personally it might be they want to kind of leave their grief there there's a lot of grief frequently people that have lost a parent a sibling a loved one a relationship that's broken down something personal in their life that they've been trying to get over that they kind of want to leave there so this year there were a couple of tributes for members of that community that were fairly well known and loved and they like, had like like the gentleman who passed away at Burning Man this year in the US. Yeah, I there assume. was some there was some for him yeah. and um also uh Nikki who was a, a local uh to the area who passed away over the last year and she was well known and loved by a lot of people in that community. And um Brian Jones who's a local farmer who um mm. passed away recently as well. Uh, we actually did a tree planting on on his property back in um, 2013 as part of the ecology side of the festival. So he is quite well connected to the community. But, um, you know, everybody has something that they leave there and it may be sacrilegious, deeply, deeply meaningful, humorous. Like it's all kinds of human expression. And then they burn it down. Mm. So it's a temporary Cathartic tribute. experience. Yeah, and so, you know, you've got at the Temple Burn night um, thousands of people sitting around pretty much in silence, uh, just having whatever experience they're having, you know, maybe mm. maybe they're releasing something, having a good old cry, uh, trying to set an intention for what they do afterwards. So it's a, you know, it's an event that's kind of filled with expression and challenges and... Um, my role there was to work with the site safety team in the drug education and harm reduction space. Um, and that went quite well. Uh, I think that Burning Seed has a pretty good model for this. They have a team of rangers, which are kind of the eyes and ears of the festival that just, you know, try and keep an eye on if anything is getting too risky or there's, there's problematic behavior that needs, needs an intervention uh, and then, you know, our space, the sanctuary, which provides drug education and, and, you know, tips on safer partying, but also a care space for if people uh, need somewhere quiet to chill, someone to talk to. And then we're right next door to medical. And one of the things that's interesting about Burning Seed is there's another team called the Peer Rangers who are all mental health professionals. And so um, if somebody was having some troubles with their mental health, which does happen because of things like the temple. Uh, sometimes people are processing challenging things for themselves, like be that grief or pre-existing mental health conditions. The ability to get somebody to assist you with that at Burning Seed is in a lot of ways better than the general community. So some people had some challenges and, you know, generally within about 10 minutes there chatting with some form of mental health professional and getting some advice. Well, I mean, that's the thing that we uh, often don't hear about in the mainstream reporting on, on festivals that like to sit out the front of a festival and take pictures of sniffer dogs sniffing up young people's butts and whatnot. That's that's their narrative. But actually what happens inside a festival is this is a community, this is a community of people with similar, similar beliefs, not all the same. And one of the differences between this and maybe a, a church community where you have people coming together who have similar beliefs is that um, it's not, usually not enforced by rigid social standards and ostracization of those who uh, don't uh, fit within the rigid, sometimes rigid. I'm not saying for all all churches and all religious groups, but there certainly is a lot of um, a lot of attempts to socially coerce people into 
remaining friends. Like it's it's pretty mm-hmm. gross. And we see the opposite at festivals. We see people um, trying to understand each other, trying to understand each other through the difficulties, through the trauma, through uh, all the twists and turns um, that life has, uh, and people finding connection. It is a pro-social experience. So this is why I also find it really funny when people talk about drug use as antisocial. Even when they describe, oh, there's a group of people sitting around being antisocial. I'm like, well, that's an oxymoron if I heard one. But Well, I think oh. in particular with, um, with events like Burning Seeds, there's such a divi- diversity of experience there that people may go intending to, quote, party, but then they might realize that there's more value for them in... Um, some of the community events there, some performance things, workshops, talks, and they might be like, you know what? Actually, I just want to sit in the temple for two hours and think about stuff rather than, you know, go off and party because it's not... Whereas some other festivals and events, the focus might be more the dance floor yep. um, and the big stages are kind of the key feature. There isn't a main stage at Burning Seed. There's camps that put on music you know they might have electronic music on at different times but also live music in different places but that that isn't necessarily the focus or the feature so people it's kind of like a bit more choose your own adventure (laughs) you know I I went there one year and I had an injured back I wasn't interested in dance floors I I spent a good portion of my time sitting in a tea house that somebody had set up with a hundred different varieties of tea and just having really engaging conversations you know it's about tea or about everything else about about everything else you know life the universe and everything so um, did you try all 100 teas? certainly not I tried about (laughs) five of them but they were they were the the people serving the tea were very much across all the different kinds Uh, of tea you have to be yeah yeah Uh, and you know this essence it, it makes it easier for people to do work in that in that drug education harm reduction space and and for the medical providers because the community has a sense of civic responsibility that's shared across and it doesn't always work and that's why we're there but it certainly does um help it's at the it's at the forefront of the festival um having that that civic response well often it's an afterthought um of a lot of other festivals that comes in response to the litter problem or the people leaving equipment (coughs) behind problem or the sexual assault problem or the people taking 27 different drugs at once and then ending up buggering up the medical tent's ability to deal with people that have actually you know sprained an ankle or things like that i'm not saying don't take drugs i'm not saying don't you know do the like it's just saying that that civic response thing is missing from a lot of festivals and it is the thing that yeah. burning seed isn't the only one i think festivals like confess and a lot of the um trans festivals have elements of that yeah but it's constantly shifting and changing as as the crowd changes as the music shifts as the trends more yeah so i mean and that was one of the bits of feedback i i had from um uh, uh well it's actually somebody known to you as well bo who's involved with students for sensible drug policy australia up in new south wales and not um, long ago wasn't he wasn't didn't he talk to us oh yeah i think oh he he played some stuff yeah last week in fact international overdose yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) that's right well i wasn't here for that show but he, he was on that and one of the things that he said was that um he's like is there always like is it always this clean with so little litter and i'm like oh yeah that's yeah, like because I've been going for so long, I don't even notice it anymore. That is the expected behavior. And so that's that's one of the things that they try and do is try and create an expectation of like, yeah, sure, there's partying and whatnot, but it's meant to happen in an essence of both personal and community responsibility. Nothing annoys me more than being at a festival and somebody's walking along drinking a can and smoking a cigarette or whatever and just the haphazard way in which people will just flick their can to the side, middle of like 
a walkway. There is clearly not even... They're not even trying to get it into a pile that will be easy for somebody else to pick up later or close to a bin. So it's like, oh, just put it... They're just... Wherever I am, it's just like, can you hold on for that a bit longer or put it in your pocket? Yeah, it's, it's a real buzzkill uh, for me. There has been times where... um. I've wanted to have a bit of a juggle down the back of the dance floor and I just, <laughs> I couldn't handle it. I had to clean like a two meter square yeah, area the and, the and like pick up all their litter. I'm like, I can't even juggle here. This is disgusting. So, you know, it's um like well done to everybody who helped uh, Burning Seed happen. It is a voluntary uh, sort of engagement. People, um, people volunteer on different teams as part of their community contribution. There's not... There's not people paid to pick up after you, so... Mm. Um, I do wonder, because because there is that dynamic in Burning Seed, do you think that there is also a dynamic in those festivals that are charging more and more hundreds of dollars every year for the tickets and putting on a more and more curated sort of experience that people almost expect to be picked up after because of what they've paid? Because I've heard that anecdotally yeah. from people who are like, oh, I paid my money. You know, even at um at shopping centres and things like that where people will litter and they're like, oh, but I paid my money and they hire the people and huh, 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 I'm giving them jobs. And, like, I really hate that attitude, but maybe there is something to it in our capitalist society well, where you think, well, if I paid for it, then, you know. Yeah, I mean, there may be a bit of that, but I think that one of the reasons that, that festivals do get more expensive is because people aren't taking so much responsibility and care with themselves and the community more broadly, right? If you've got to pay a whole bunch of people to pick up litter because people can't be bothered walking to a bin or considering how to reduce the amount of stuff they bring, mm. of course it's going to cost more. Uh, also this week, um, while, while you're away, uh, Pil- uh, sorry, not, sorry, not get things missed up, The Loop Australia um, did a, uh, a volunteer information event on Wednesday night down in uh, Cremorne. If anyone knows where Richmond, it was in Richmond uh, on Swan Street, and uh, they were just talking a little bit about some of what they've been up to, introducing some of their team, um, and also hearing from a guy called Adam, and I've forgotten his last name, but he's from the New Zealand Drug Foundation, and also with um, uh, drug checking, uh, New Zealand drug checking. Uh, and talking a little bit about their journey over the over the past few years, uh, some of the discussions that are going on at the moment uh, around New Zealand. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, and uh, there was also an interesting conference put on by an organisation I've never heard of, and I think it's because they're brand spanking news, called the uh, Australian Pub... Progressive, Australian Progressive Health Public Alliance. Health Alliance, thank yep. you. Um, and this was uh, on Thursday and Friday in the city uh, with a really interesting collection of, of people from um, health, uh, public health and, uh, you know, people working in harm reduction, but people also working in uh, tobacco and nicotine policy reform, uh, a lot of SSDP uh, people there, including working the doors and things like that. Um, small number of people, but interesting, diverse um, group and... Yeah, it's, um, yeah. A, it's a global conference, City Health. It's been put on in uh, other countries before. And the Progressive Health Alliance, I think, was started by some people affiliated with the Labor Party. So it's kind of an internal okay. push for reform coming it, from people uh, associated with them, I think. I did notice that Alex Wodak is the deputy, deputy chair of that mm-hmm. organisation. So Alex being from the Australian Drug Law Reform Foundation and also just a general drug law reformer for decades, decades. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, they've got some interesting names involved. Um, wanted to get some recordings there. Unfortunately, didn't get a chance to, but we will be catching up from with some of the people from there. Um, up later in the show, we are going to be hearing from uh, Dr. Nicole Lee, um, who is a uh, 
uh, a researcher, harm reductionist, I suppose. I'm not never quite sure what the word is. AOD researcher, but that's an acronym. Yeah, she, she helps run 360 Edge, which provides education for a lot of service providers, particularly around methamphetamine addiction and yeah. alcohol addiction. So we'll be hearing from her, but um, her, uh, she works with uh, Jared Bartle, who's been on the show before as our maestro of vice. Uh, and they've been talking a lot about the ACT's decision to legalise uh, cannabis this week. Um, and also, uh, a bit later, um, we'll be catching up on a few more things uh, that have been popping up in our feeds that we haven't quite uh, got attention to. And what you're hearing right now in the background is Kodiak Kid uh, with Mad Zack, and it's Gangster Cinematic. I'll let you hear the rest of it right now on 3CR.
Become entranced by dark and twisted soundscapes with 3CR's new weekly specialist music program, Midnight Mass, bringing you dark and forest sidetrance to the airwaves. Tune in for the driving bass lines, music reviews, and guests from the local Melbourne sidetrance scene to talk electronic music production and news. Midnight Mass is on every Monday from midnight to 2am on 3CR. Brainwaves, hear the world differently, bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Listening to 3CR Community Radio 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. This is in Psychedelia that you're tuned to right now. And psychedelia.org is our website, um, or you can find us on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Now, if you're one of the nearly 3 million Australians who regularly enjoy cannabis and you'd like to know more about what's going on in the cannabis world, connect with Australia's cannabis hub, the Nimbin Hemp Embassy. Visit hempembassy.net for all the latest news and events. Uh, You can subscribe to their mailing list for regular cannabis news from across the country. Uh, And if you're ever in Nimbin as well, visit the embassy at 51 Cullen Street, the Nimbin Hemp Embassy, hempembassy.net. And uh, we are talking cannabis and um, Nimbin Hemp Embassy in New South Wales, not the beneficiaries of a recent announcement this week uh, or this past week. Yeah, week? week? Two weeks. Whatever. In the past 10 days or so, the ACT legalised cannabis. Um, but what does that mean? How did the ACT legalise cannabis? Because, my gosh, there's more models than there are strains of cannabis out there at the moment for regulation. Might be a slight exaggeration, but it starts to feel like that. And the ACTs is perhaps one of the most conservative that we've seen in the world in terms of uh, regulation. Uh, very good reasons for that because it's, they, they sort of don't want to rock the boat a little bit. But that hasn't stopped the um, LMP meatheads getting out and saying, oh, well, it's got to cause psychosis and all sorts of nonsense. In fact, um, Channel 7 News in their um, always uh, ever trustworthy uh, news reporting and, and journalistic integrity uh, we're on to it with this 22-second uh, piece or 25-second piece on, on cannabis, so we'll just have a listen to that quickly. The federal government's moving to overturn the ACT's decision to legalise personal marijuana use. The Deputy Prime Minister says the Attorney-General is already looking into reversing the law, claiming it sends the wrong message. To uh, legalise cannabis is just a dopey decision uh, made by dopey people. The ACT government passed the law last week allowing possession of up to 50 grams per person and two plants per household. So that was the Deputy Prime Minister Michael McCormack essentially calling the Prime Minister of Canada dopey and the... um, governors of, I think, nine states in the United States, not including medical cannabis, and the president of Uruguay, all dopey for considering legalizing cannabis. It's quite an insult to our uh, neighbors in New Zealand as well, who will be holding a referendum next year to decide whether that country should legalize cannabis. We've just got some moaning in the background from the uh, from the LNP's um, drug squad there. They are... Uh, 
stone of slots, although apparently stone of slots because they can't get up to the program and what's going on with cannabis and they've fallen so far behind. Um, because I, I don't know, stone of sloth. Uh, so, cannabis, um, what has actually happened in the ACT? Um, Ash, what, what do you know? So it's it's kind of complex. Um, I've spent a little bit of time digging through Hansard. I don't know how much we want to go into that now, but um, the the debate essentially featured around. It was a private members' bill introduced uh, by the Greens, I believe, and it was supported by the government. Um, and their take on it was that um, they essentially want to treat it as a health issue. Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> I guess you could call it legalization. I mean, if it's legalization, it's kind of legalization light. Um, yeah, can I go? Uh, can I go to a, a whatever a cannabis dispensary now? Certainly that... not. No, um, you are allowed to grow two plants at home, um, and you are allowed to possess uh, less than fifty grams on your person. But you're not allowed to trade it, gift it. You're not allowed to pass somebody a joint. And there's a lot of complexities on how it interacts with federal law. Uh, what about cannabis clubs? Because I know in other parts of the world where these sorts of pieces of legislation have been set up, that people have set up cannabis clubs. Going well, no, I'm, no, 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 none of it. None of it is in the mix. And there was a lot of debate about whether people would be able to grow indoor or not. And um, I, I'm still catching up because I was away for the last week. But uh, I believe that the model they decided on was that people would not be allowed to grow indoors. That's a bit specific. Yeah, really, in the it's, law, it's like oh, if you have a, a roof over your cannabis, then it's illegal cannabis. So, well, there there roof is some um, illegal. Over what? the last thirty <laughs> years or so in Australia, there's been some differences in laws around whether something is quote hydroponic or outdoor, and mm, this is true. presumably based around. Um, the, there's sometimes been a health argument made about that, but also a kind of perception of the kind of crime that's involved. Right, so I think that people growing in their backyard is seen as like small consumers growing for themselves. Healthy if you've got a hydro just... set up, you're quote serious about it. Yeah, and yeah. so Triads. you know, different jurisdictions around Australia have had some distinction in the law about that previously, and that seems to have been maintained in the ACT law. So, um, Dr. Nicole Lee is a, uh, a research, sort of a policy analysis who runs, as we were talking about before, uh, a company that specifically focuses on stimulant um, usage, but um, she's uh, got some expertise, a wide range of expertise uh, in these areas. And she caught up with 3CR Monday Breakfast, uh, the team with Judith Pepper, Dean Shingage and Alice Golds. Uh, it's on 7am every Monday morning. So tomorrow morning um, you can tune in. She caught up with them um, just last week. Uh, so we're going to have a listen to what Dr Nicole Lee had to say about the ACT's decision to legalise cannabis. We're now going to speak to Dr Nicole Lee. And this is this is basically after the ACT becoming the um, first Australian jurisdiction to legalise the possession, use and cultivation of small amounts of cannabis. So, Dr. Nicole, thank you for joining us today. Morning. Good morning. Um, can you just first off by sort of give us a little bit of a lowdown on what happened on Wednesday? Yeah, so the, um, the ACT Lower House passed a bill that um, is pretty uh, historic, uh, historic bill for Australia, I think, mm. um, that... Uh, as you said, legalised the um, possession of small amounts of um, dry and wet cannabis and uh, allows growing of um, two cannabis plants per person or four per household. Mm. 
And what's the difference between dry or wet cannabis? Well, it's just the moisture. So when it's first harvested, um, wet is probably, should be in inverted commas, um, when it's first harvested, it's still got a lot of moisture in it, so it's a bit heavier. So right. the, there's a 150-gram limit for fresh cannabis and a 50-gram limit for dry cannabis. So once it's dried out, the moisture content's gone, so it's a lot lighter. Mm. And when will when will the change um, actually come in? Are we looking at that next year? Yeah, so um, it's pegged for... 31st of January 2020, um, the law will come into effect. And, and what can we see happening before that day and, and then after? How is it going to be changing? Well, um, the ACT is actually one of the more liberal jurisdictions when it comes to cannabis in Australia. They've had a de- decriminalisation of um, possession and use of cannabis for uh, 27 years now. Mm. Um, so there's, uh, this is a kind of small step in the next, the next direction towards um, full regulation of the market, um, but nothing will change between now and the 31st of January. People who are caught with cannabis in their possession, uh, even the small amounts that are under the new legislation, will still um, be hit with a fine, which is the current, um, the current system now. Nicole um, Dean here. I mean, obviously the changes, um, the new legislation will allow adults to grow cannabis plants at home. What what does this mean? What are some of the safeguards that need to be in place? Uh, What will it mean for driving under the influence, for example? Have all of those things been taken into account? Yeah, so this legislation doesn't affect Uh, any of those other laws Mm -hmm. and there is going to be, I'm predicting there is going to be a bit of a conflict with those laws. Um, But the safeguards around uh, growing of cannabis that the ACT have put in place with this legislation is that um, it has to be kept securely, uh, it can't be accessed by children and young people, Uh, cannabis smoking near children and young people under 18 is still an offence. Um, and uh, the, to protect uh, young people, uh, the law only applies to people over 18, and so people who are under 18 still get the cannabis um, offence notice, which is essentially the fine. And just to be clear, this has nothing to do with the medical side of it. It's just a legislation that you can grow it. That's right. It is purely for recreational use. So um, the, there are separate cannabis laws in most states and territories and um, they're all, they've been in place for a couple of years. Um, but this is completely separate from that process. Mm. And how does this compare with jurisdictions overseas? So it's a, it's a pretty um, cautious step towards regulation. Uh, it's, we're not talking like the free market commercialisation system that the US has put in place. Um, you'd kind of expect the US to do that kind of thing, but that's probably at the more extreme end. Um, and it, it's not even... Uh, so the sale, for example, is still prohibited in the ACT. It's really just for homegrown and for small amounts of use. Mm. And um, 
Judith, did you have a question? Well, I did. Uh, and so, so, Nicole, we have this kind of a funny situation where we have the, the federal government saying, you know, they're going to do something to crack down on this new law and because the federal laws are different from the laws in the ACT. And there's a similar situation, of course, in the U.S., uh, where certain states have uh, made have legalized cannabis and the federal law is different. So I don't know if there's any comparison between those. Uh, well, I, I guess in the sense that we do have federal laws that um, usually trump state laws, but for drug regulation, uh, the states generally make the law. So there is some question about how that interaction is going to happen. Um, it's still uh, we're still to find out what the what the federal government um, is planning to do about it. Mm. And. Um... And can you talk to us also a little bit about the potential social impact of decriminalising cannabis and also where the motivation for this new jurisdiction possibly came from? Yeah, I mean, I, I, in terms of motivation, um, it, it's, it's hard to say why now, but clearly over the last 10 years or more, um, there's been an increase, increasing support for the liberalisation of our drug laws, it's it's pretty clear that prohibition isn't getting the effect that um, it had intended. So it hasn't reduced um, use and it hasn't reduced harm at all. Yeah. So um, we're, we've been talking, um, many people from many sectors, including um, some government, police, health, uh, health and welfare professionals have been advocating for um, a change in the way we approach drugs more generally. Um, mm. And Nicole, yeah. we've had Greg Denham on here, you know, for the last few months, obviously, uh, from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, talking about harm reduction and things like that as a step forwards, you know, instead of just locking people up, but making the move uh, forwards. In your mind, how, how do you think that this can go in some way of, of I guess, helping that um, the problem we have? I mean, obviously, this is cannabis. It's not everything else, but it, it's a small step forward, isn't it? Yeah, so in this case, um, because it's just one small step forward, the biggest impact is probably going to be um, the reduction in the harm of coming into contact with the criminal justice system. So um, things like having a record or um, the fines or, you know, those, uh, you know, being kind of caught by police and the, the the, sometimes the trauma that goes along with that. So all of that's taken away from um, use and uh, possession and cultivation. Um, but it's still there's still a lot of room to move in terms of removing sale from organised crime because the sale of cannabis is still um, a criminal offence and still illegal uh, in the ACT and elsewhere as well. So there's still... Um, in terms of regulating the market and bringing it under kind of a, a more uh, regulatory control, uh, there's still quite a few steps that we can we can take um, forward from here. And Nicole, Judith here again, I know that you've also written about the history of drug laws. And, uh, and my sense is that how uh, cannabis became illegal in the first place is kind of uh, politically fraught. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the way that most of our drugs have become illegal uh, really comes down to 
um, political motivations and ideology and, in some cases, um, some level of racism and protecting markets and those kinds of things, not really to do with whether the drugs are harmful themselves. And, in fact, um, most people would assume that drugs are illegal because they're dangerous. That's why most things are illegal. Um, but the reason isn't actually related to their risk or harm. And, in fact, they're made more dangerous in many cases by the fact that they are prohibited. And we have seen um, more than 800 new drugs come onto the market in the last 10 years because of prohibition. Yes, and, and it puts money into the hands of criminals, as you say. And, of course, uh, when this first happened in the US, uh, the criminalization of cannabis, it was often people using it were often African-American people, Mexican-American. Um, and so, you know, it was quite easy to vilify certain groups of people who were already being discriminated against in the US. That's right, yeah, that's right. And one of the benefits of um, further regulation is that then these products can um, come under taxable sale, for example, and it frees up police time and um, it, it does remove that uh, criminal element from the, yes. the manufacture yeah. of drugs. And it was decriminal or legalised in Canada just a year ago, cannabis. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think things have fallen apart, as far as I know. <laughs> I, mean, I speak to my sister regularly. She hasn't seen anyone on the streets have grown horns or got you know funny, funny fur on their faces or anything like that. No, there hasn't been even um, in the in the US. So US, Uruguay, Canada, and some other jurisdictions have all legalised um, cannabis, and there really hasn't even been a huge increase in the number of people using it. So um, the doom and gloom is it doesn't hasn't come to pass at all. Mm. And what's the reaction been like since Wednesday? How has it been received this new law? Well, I, I think from certainly from um, harm reduction advocates, it's um, been well received. The, my sense of uh, the media reporting is relatively neutral to positive, which I think is. Um, uh, a positive thing when it comes to illicit drugs because um, yeah. there's often a, a lot of uh, kind of pejorative reporting and stigmatised type of reporting. But um, in this case, it seems to be very well received. And it's not surprising because um, the vast majority of Australians um, would like to see uh, drug law reform in, in this direction. So I think that um, it, it just recognises the community support for um, better regulation of drugs in, uh, and bringing them under regulatory control instead of uh, on the black market. Mm. And do you think um, other jurisdictions will follow now? It's hard to tell, but the Productivity Commission in Queensland recommended going this way as well um, just recently, and uh, there's moves in the Victorian Parliament to put legislation um to legalise uh, cannabis um, in Victoria as well. So there's um, certainly moves in other states to uh, look at prohibition and look at a different way of doing things. Mm. Such a positive move forward, in in my opinion, absolutely. Um, And thank you so much, Dr Nicole Lee, for joining us today and talking to us about this. Thanks, folks. 
Thank you so much. And that was Dr Nicole talking about how the ACT has become the first Australian jurisdiction to legalise the possession, use and cultivation of small amounts of cannabis. And that was Judith Pepper, Dean Shingage and the voice finally there from Alice Golds. It's the 3CR Monday breakfast team uh, who caught up on Monday with Dr Nicole Lee. uh, And you can listen back. I mean, yeah, listen back to that at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au or tune in to 3CR's breakfast program between 7 and 8.30 a.m. every morning uh, covering a wide variety of issues. I've got my digital radio set to it. Uh, good to good to wake up to. Uh, and this is uh, 3CR. Get a healthy dose of anti-nuclear, peace and sustainability issues on the Radioactive Show. 10am Saturdays on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. And also podcast and web streamed on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. The Radioactive Show, where every bit of exposure makes you stronger. Just enough so I can cope Cozier than most I know There's no doubt But I've known doubts now Like a dwarf in a gnome's house I notice sour taste in my mouth lately Replay caving on my daydream daily These strange keepsakes Big B trailer That rose bouquet for a three-day daisy Ah, shit, I guess it is what you're making Cheated at the game and now She don't want to play no more I walk around like an eyesore Unsure what my life's for Or if I bought by Chest. You lazy to order food and keep on smoking joints and big trust. Zero fucks, that 
Triple meat deluxe. I'm mixing whiskey in my sweats with my pizza crust. Slowly unbutton my cuffs, ain't beloved much. Craving your subtle touch, baby. Watch me blunder bust. So throw it down for a second, ain't the fucking rush. Doing this for months when we're fighting, I just suck it up. So bump that knuckle touch, lush love. Fucking me sucks. Leave out the lemon seed, you rubbing my cuts. The guava, food on my tire, I'm shopping. I see the doctor like I'm beats and banging the body to body. Living off criminal funds, and still I'll be getting it done. Better than when I was heavily set in the pleasure of medicine, letters were none. I'm bringing it to the I'm shaking the earth, I'm making a drama. Release the pressure till you're falling inside, gonna think of the limit. Regime with Soul Connection on 3CR in Psychedelia, 855 am3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital, um, who just played at Burning Seed and you caught the mash. Yeah, they were pretty popular. There were a fair few people that, uh, they were one of those bands that you were kind of walking past and then you stopped and you kind of went, oh, what's going on here? And uh, wandered over and away you go. So yeah, they were cool as, like full funk band rocking it out. If you're interested in the psychedelic renaissance, make sure you stay in touch with the local Australian conversation. Uh, check out the Entheogenesis Australis YouTube channel with full talks available from previous psychedelic symposia held over the past two decades in Melbourne and regional Victoria. Head to youtube.com forward slash entheotv. Uh, and now... Uh, pill testing has also been back in the discussion. Well, look, I mean, when's it been our discussion over the past 12 to 18 months? Um, but we've been hearing a bit more from New Zealand. So, New Zealand is interesting. Um, are you going to play the snippet or should we just... Should we, yeah. Yeah, just, just, just play, play the snippet. It. Okay, so this is from, um, I think it was uh, Channel 1, is it, in New Zealand? 
she might say it at the start. If not, I'll get the uh, we'll, we'll share the article on the uh, in psychedelia Facebook. Um, but at one of the news channels in New Zealand reporting on drug checking this week. National and New Zealand First are standing firm on their stance against allowing the testing of drugs at festivals and events. The Green Party's launched a petition to get it legalised, saying it would save lives. Here's political reporter Benedict Collins. The summer festival season's almost here. This organiser believes pill testing could save lives. There's a lot of bad chemicals and different drugs that, that are out there and people are taking them, so um, if, there, yeah, if there's the potential to save lives through that, it is a good move. But there won't be any pill testing at Bay Dreams because it's still illegal. We want to have the full backing um, of the police and, and local government and national government before we go down that track. One News also spoke to the organisers of the Rhythm and Vines Festival in Gisborne. They agree pill testing could be a valuable tool, but they're not prepared to have it on site either until it's legal. This week, the Greens launched a petition calling for a law change. Where the law is not morally sound and it is standing in the way of reducing risk, uh, then it is our moral duty to change that law. But the government's all over the show. It is something I'm passionate about. Making it easier for people to indulge in drugs is actually not something that the party is supportive of. I don't endorse car crashes, but if people are going to crash, I want them wearing a seatbelt. I take that same approach to festival drug testing. The Prime Minister is still hopeful they'll sort it out. Look, I think there's obviously still a bit more work to be done, but obviously it seems that this isn't a closed issue yet. Nationals changed its tune too. At the start of the year, it cautiously supported pill testing. That's not our position. Uh, we've had a full discussion uh, in caucus. I think legalising the drug testing, the pill testing, sends the wrong message to young people. Is National divided over this? No. Any law change? Looking some way off. Benedict Collins, One News. Uh, One News is tvnz.co.nz and we'll post that link on our Facebook page as well. So that was out of New Zealand this week. Yeah, and the person talking sense there was Chloe Swarbrick from the Green Party. And um, Know Your Stuff New Zealand uh, have been in the media uh, responding to some of this. The the essence of it is that... um, Now, what's the gentleman's name? Uh, No, I've just closed the wrong link. Oh, Darren, uh, Derek Ball from New Zealand First is the oh, justice Derek. spokesperson. And um, <clears throat> now, this, this is a direct quote from um, one of the things that he said. Quote, we're being very reactionary if we think that it's okay to start saving lives or to start protecting people. <laughs> now, he's copped a bit for it. Um, but he is in the way, um, as the blog post in response on the knowyourstuff.nz website, the uh, the organisation that has for the last five years been conducting drug checking in New Zealand in a legal grey area. And what they're seeking to do now is to have the law basically catch up with where the practice is at. Um, with what they've been doing for four years. Yeah, I think yep. it's the police commissioner. All, all of these people, have, you know, significant people have come out in support of what's being done and what's being done is has been done in a real grassroots kind of way, you know, with some support from the New Zealand Drug Foundation. They've just gone out there and done it and shown that it works. Um, so I recommend heading to knowyourstuff.nz and reading the full blog post because they, they, they don't pull their punches. Essentially, their response is, so what this gentleman from um, New Zealand First, Mr. Uh, Derek Ball, is saying is that he wants young people to come to harm. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, because what well, it will teach them a lesson. That's the uh, uh, that's that sort of um, conservative approach that we see sometimes when it's a uh, it's all about oh we got to let them hit rock bottom first. So okay, you're seeing somebody who you think um, might be harming themselves because they don't know enough information, and you know a bit more information, and your your strategy is to go yeah and stick your finger up to them and just you know ignore them until they get to nearly killing themselves or whatever horrible thing happens in their life and then you go ha ha come crawling back to me now like yeah and sick. i think especially sick. in new zealand they've done really good analysis of their data and made that available publicly and what it's what it's shown is that there's a real benefit that goes beyond the festival for knowing what kind of drugs are circulating in the environment and they've seen changes over the last few years in New Zealand that, you know, they've seen things where there were like a lot more poor quality drugs, things like N-ethylpentalone turning up, um, all kinds of weird, obscure adulterants. But then more recently, they've also seen these, quote, high strength MDMA pills that are more prevalent in Europe turning up there. And we've seen the same thing here, you know, and so you get this uh, risk from drugs that are very high quality and so people can then overdose on MDMA and they've shared that with all the health departments so the rest of the emergency services the the health institutions and organizations throughout New Zealand can then have a bit more of a clue of what might show up and how to respond the other thing that we've seen um, a, a sort of uh, ideological approach that ends up resulting in more harm because of a strong ideology rather than going along with what the evidence is saying is in, in vaping and the discussions are continuing around that because of this series of incidents, uh, serious health incidents in some cases in the US, um, but related to a black market product uh, which uh, appeared to be some kind of uh, cannabis, cannabinoid um uh, concoction that had been made by uh, there were suggestions that it was one company I posted on the Facebook site there's no, not not any confirmation and that company denied that they were linked to it but um, they were not engaging in some good practices there and that's the problem the problem is a poorly regulated um, market that that doesn't have the sort of controls and under, you know but that's been turned into oh we need to ban vaping and in Australia it's already you have to have a prescription to get nicotine so the vaping that people can do legally without a prescription is flavoured vaping, which is fairly benign. Um, but we've seen a lot of resistance from all sorts of organisations, including um, organisations like the Cancer Council and like um, uh, like Quit, Quit Victoria, organisations that are all about quitting smoking. Uh, Athra, the Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Association, who were at this conference uh, uh, earlier, uh, later, just uh, Friday, Thursday and Friday, uh, posted on Twitter a little um, quote from... Uh, Innovation and its enemies, why people resist new technologies, uh, a piece from uh, the Oxford University Press in 2016. And the quote is, debates over new technology are part of a long history of social discourse over new products. Claims about the promise of new technology are at times greeted with scepticism, vilification or outright opposition, often dominated by slander, innuendo, scare tactics, conspiracy theories and misinformation. The assumption that new technologies carry unknown risks guides much of the debate. This is often amplified to levels that overshadow the dangers of known risks. The focus tends to be the unintended risks of new products rather than, an un, uh, rather than on unintended benefits. Another characteristic of the debate is the assumption that adopting new technologies comes with new risks, while doing nothing is risk-free. 
As a result, most communication efforts do not include the risk of inaction. And just quickly before we finish the show, uh, Colin, Dr. Colin Mendelson um, from uh, the Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Association caught up with us a few weeks ago, and I just thought it would be good to just replay a little bit um, now from that interview. I think we're very punitive and very judgmental yeah, of smokers, yeah. but, you know, we need to have a bit more compassion. Most smokers really want to quit, mm-hmm. um, and they're smoking for a reason. That it's doing something for them to help mm. them get through, through life, and... I think we're pretty tough on the smokers. I think we need to support them more. And that's one thing vaping can, vaping can do. It can say, look, we know you need your nicotine. We understand that. And you're going to use it anyway. Let's use a safer version, which you know you might find relaxing and which is much cheaper. And look, in Australia, um, a pack of the leading brand is 30 bucks, a pack of 20. And to vape is about 85% cheaper. Mm, right. 85% cheaper. So... It's a huge saving for someone who could make the switch. So some of the more recent data coming out on this shows that nearly 80% of the 578 patients that the CDC in the United States has detailed data on reported using THC-containing vaping products in the months before falling ill. So this confirms some of what we've thought, that most of what's happening here is actually contaminated black market THC vaping products. And this is kind of the story that we've been getting at over the past four years or so, that there are no silver bullets to the problem of people uh, having troubles with substances. No matter what policy approach we have, we are going to see that. But is prohibition, the policy we currently have, doing anything to make it better. Every time politicians introduce new prohibition uh, policies, is that one somehow building on uh, on something that's come before it in making the community safer, uh, helping people that do have problems to seek help, or is it just solidifying the problem? I'll let you answer that question for yourself because Queering Air is up next. Enjoy your Arvo. Bye. This is this is Psychedelia. the Psychedelia 3CR podcast. Comments, you can hear in Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.